the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Asking God a bunch of questions is not an affront to God. It may expose our own childlike lack of understanding the complexity of our universe. Okay, it might expose our childlike inability to comprehend some things, but it is not wrong to ask God questions. He's a big God. He can take your questions. When things in life don't make sense, do you find yourself questioning God? Why is He allowing these things to happen in your life? Just like parents want their children to trust them, God wants you to trust Him, especially when things don't make sense. In today's message, Pastor Gary will explain that it's not wrong to ask God questions about why things are happening, but you must remember that God isn't obligated to answer your questions. He simply wants you to trust Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Habakkuk as he begins his message, When God Doesn't Make Sense. The last 12 books of the Old Testament are known as the Minor Prophets. We are at number 8 out of the 12, Habakkuk. Uh, Again, these are not Minor Prophets because they are less important than the other prophets. It's just that what they write is generally shorter. And Habakkuk, uh, no exception, only three chapters. And we know very little about Habakkuk. His name in Hebrew is actually pronounced, and it's spelled in English with a C-H because it, that's the guttural sound in Hebrew, the ch sound. So, and it's kind of a, a, a funny way of pronouncing his name, but it's Havakuk, Havakuk. That's how his name is pronounced. So you know every time that people would come up after that little baby was born, they'd ask his parents, what do you have there? Havakuk, that's what I have. <laughs> And nothing is really known about Habakkuk anywhere else in the Bible because he's not mentioned by name anywhere else besides the book that bears his name. The best guess as to when he prophesied was sometime around 600 BC because he does make reference to the rise of the Babylonian Empire, or God does in his conversation with Habakkuk. And so we know that it has to precede the rise of the Babylonian Empire. It's probably sometime around 600 BC that he, that he ministers. So I'm going to read here out of chapter 1, uh, just the first four verses, and uh, we'll talk about the theme from Habakkuk today. But first, let me read verses 1 through 4 here in chapter 1. 
It says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. By the way, that word violence in Hebrew is Hamas. So that terrorist organization literally means violence. But Habakkuk asks here, How long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Habakkuk is unique among all the other prophets in the entire Bible in that his book does not challenge a nation or a people group. Uh, You know, he's Jewish and he's not sent by God here, at least recorded, to address the Jewish people. He is not sent by God, at least recorded, to address other nations. Perhaps he did that, but that's not what the book of Habakkuk is about. The book of Habakkuk is atypical among the prophets because it is entirely a dialogue. The book of Habakkuk is a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And uh, and God answers in this dialogue. Uh, as Habakkuk raises questions that he has and, and issues that he has, he, he is perplexed by some things that he sees in his world. And Habakkuk is full of some confusion. And so he has some questions for God about God. That's what this, that is, is what this book is about. And so it's as if we get to eavesdrop on a conversation between the Lord and one of his prophets. And the dialogue that ensues here, it mainly is centered around questions and confusions that Habakkuk has, particularly as it relates to injustice and evil in the world. Habakkuk wanted to know why God allowed evil to exist. And Habakkuk wondered, if God is sovereign, why do wicked people prosper? And, and it's as if God seems to do nothing. And so Habakkuk is raising these questions with God. And so this whole book is a dialogue. And I'm so glad that it's included in Scripture because it gives us a little insight in, into how the prophets had questions for God and confusion about God. And, and it, make, it kind of humanizes them. You know, because sometimes we can think, oh, these prophets, these, you know, these great men of God, and, and, and we put them up on a pedestal and we think they never had a bad day in their life. And they always, you know, were walking in godliness and they always had this great insight into spiritual things. And, and the fact of the matter is that these people are very human, just like you and, and, and I. And, and so it's comforting to notice here that some of the same questions that Habakkuk wrestled with God concerning life and the world and, and, and God's apparent lack of concern and involvement are some of the same questions that plague us today. There's plenty of people who have questions about why God allows this and why didn't he intervene there and, and, and how do we explain this or that in our world. It really shouldn't surprise us, though, that for us and for the prophets of old, that life at times was confusing in terms of how God operated or didn't seem to operate. Because Isaiah the prophet tells us in Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, and Isaiah speaks in the first person for the Lord. And the Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. 
For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways higher than yours. So it shouldn't surprise us, you know, because God is infinitely superior and infinitely wiser and uh, infinitely, obviously, more sovereign in every way. And so there are things that happen this side of heaven on earth that are perplexing to us, but not to God, confusing to us, but not to God. That don't seem to make sense to us, but it makes perfect sense to God because his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. And we just sometimes lack the capacity to really understand everything. And in that becomes the, the, the confusion. It's like, I don't understand. So now I'm confused. And how do I wrestle with these thoughts? And, and what do I do? So the struggle that Habakkuk has in trying to understand the ways of God and the working of God are played out in these three chapters in three stages. We're going to see how Habakkuk moves from confusion to, by the end of the book, consolation. How he starts out at the beginning of the book being perplexed. By the end of the book, he's at peace. But he goes through three different stages, and we're going to see each stage in each of these three chapters here. And I think recognizing these three stages would be helpful to us, too, during those times when God doesn't make sense. There are times we're going to have difficulty understanding what is God up to, and, and we're going to think that God doesn't make sense to us. And, and you'll notice through these three chapters and these three stages that there's a progression here that Habakkuk goes through as he processes things. Because at the beginning of the book, Habakkuk is not in a good place when the book opens. But by the time the book ends, there is noticeable peace in his heart. And isn't that what we all ultimately want? We want, to, we want to have that inner peace in our lives when we can't figure God out, when things are happening in our lives or in our world, and we wonder, where is God in the midst of this? Isn't it really inner peace that we want when we don't always have the capacity to understand what God is up to? And so I'm going to share with you these three stages that Habakkuk went through on his way from confusion to consolation, from being perplexed to finally being at peace. And so for you note takers, these three things are, here's the first one, the questioning stage, the questioning stage. We're going to see he asks why God, how God, it's the typical way that we react to situations when God doesn't make sense to us, when our circumstances don't seem to fit our view of God, at least in terms of how we think that God should respond to them. We ask similar things. Why God? Why did you allow this? Uh, why didn't you fix this? Um, you know, what are you doing or what are you not doing? Or, or how, Lord, is this going to work out? And why don't you seem to intervene here? So we have all these same kind of questions. And the first question that Habakkuk had for God had to do with what he observed was happening among his own people. So he kind of surveyed the landscape of his culture and of his people of his day and he realized that, you know, these people were into injustice. That's the first few verses that we read. There's evil, uh, there's idolatry, and, and God seems to be doing nothing. So his first question was basically, how is it possible that so much evil and injustice exists in Judah, and God, you don't seem to do anything about it? That's Habakkuk's first question there in the first four verses. And, and God responds starting in verse 5, and he says, oh, I... I'm doing something about it. 
He says, don't you worry, Habakkuk. I, I'm up to something, and I know exactly what I'm doing, and, and here's, here's what I'm doing. And so look in your Bibles there, still in chapter 1, verse 5. This is God's answer to him in verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Now, in some of your Bibles, the translation might say Babylonians, the same, same people, the Chaldeans and the Babylonians, same. He says, I, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. This, this is God's description of the Babylonians. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earth and mounds and seize it. And then his mind changes And he transgresses, he commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. Now, here's what God is basically saying here. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. And then he starts to talk here in descriptive terms about the Babylonians. They're ruthless, they're harsh, they're they're, they're bitter. They're a nation that just, you know, kind of invades a a foreign land. And they just practice what basically is scorched earth policy. We're going to go in there and destroy the land. We're going to confiscate the, the plunder. We're going to take captive the people. And God's describing the Babylonians like this. And he gets to the end of what we just read there in verse 11. And he says, and then his mind changes the Babylonians think that their God, because they're a pagan people, that their God actually is giving them success in in this endeavor, when in fact, as it relates to the people of Judah, the only reason they're allowed to besiege Judah and Jerusalem in particular is because God is using them. He's using them to bring correction to the people whom he loves. So the Jewish people were in rebellion against God, sinning, idolatry, evil, injustice among themselves. And God says, I'm going to bring the Babylonians to be the instrument of my discipline to bring correction to you. Because after they come, you're going to start to cry out for me. Now, that's exactly what happens. But let me tell you, he, this is his answer to Habakkuk. When Habakkuk says, all this injustice and evil among my own people, how are you allowing this to happen without any correction? And God says, oh yeah, I'm I'm about to correct it. I'm bringing the Babylonians, this ruthless, barbaric people, and they're going to come and spank the Jewish people. Let me tell you something. This does not help Habakkuk. He, he, He raises question number two now. He's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. God, you know, I just got through saying that I'm, I'm bothered, uh, and I'm, I'm tormented by all of this, this injustice and evil in my world among my own people. You mean to tell me, and here's the second question. You mean to tell me, why in the world would you use a wicked people like the Babylonians to correct a people more righteous than they? That's what Habakkuk says to God. That's question number two. Habakkuk knew that his own Jewish people were living in idolatry and injustice and evil, but he also knew that the Babylonians were pagan people. And he's like, the Babylonian people are pagan people. Why in the world would you take those ruthless, barbaric, wicked, pagan people to come and correct our people, the Jewish people, who are more righteous than they? Now, comparatively speaking, that was true, but it's always a danger to compare because we're all miserably sinful. And there's none righteous, no, not one. 
But this troubles Habakkuk because he's like, you know, at least, God, we worship you. We may not be in a good place as a people right now, but the Babylonians don't worship you. Why would you use them? He couldn't understand this. And so this is what Habakkuk raises to God. Look here at chapter 1, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. Habakkuk says, basically, I know my own people need to be corrected, and I know you're going to discipline them, but I know we're not going to die from this. But verse 13, he says, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why? Why do you look on those who deal treacherously, the Babylonians, and hold your tongue when the wicked, the Babylonians, devours a person more righteous than he, the Jews. So this is his question for God. Why would you do this? Now, let me just pause here because this is stage number one, and we're all going to deal with this stage at some point when God doesn't make sense and we're troubled by things. The questioning stage, let me just say something that's important here. Asking God a bunch of questions is not an affront to God. It may expose our own childlike lack of understanding the complexity of our universe. Okay. It might expose our childlike inability to comprehend some things. But it is not wrong to ask God questions. He's a big God. He can take your questions. You know, you see all through the Bible that there are different people who question God when they didn't understand him. Moses, for example. When God called Moses out of the desert of Midian to go back to Egypt and to be God's messenger to announce to Pharaoh that God has determined that the Jewish people are supposed to leave this slavery after 400 years, Moses kind of reluctantly agrees, you know, the whole burning bush experience in Exodus chapter 3. Moses was a reluctant guy. He... he, he said to God, you know, I stutter, I'm, I, I, I'm not really that good, you know, in conversation. And so God says, I'll take care of that. Uh, your brother Aaron will go, he'll kind of speak. You, you're, you're the one who's going to be my representative. And, I'll, and so God takes away all his excuses. Okay, so Moses eventually goes. When he goes and he shows up to Pharaoh, he's like, I, I'm here to announce that God says to you, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, what? What, what are you saying to me? And Moses is like, just what I already said. I, I'm here to tell you to let the Jewish people go. And Pharaoh says, no way to Yahweh. That's what he says. And Pharaoh's like, I ain't giving up. I ain't giving up free slave, slave labor force. Are you kidding me? Who do you think you are, Moses? I mean, you, you know, you were here, you were raised here. Then you, you flee off to Midian after you kill that Egyptian. And now you want to waltz back into my palace and tell me what to do. No, thank you. And so what happens is Pharaoh says, and because you've asked, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it harder for the Hebrew slaves. And the Bible says that he made it more intense for their labor by requiring the Hebrew slaves to produce the same amount of bricks. They were basically making uh, mud bricks, but without any straw. Now, straw was like the glue for cohesion. And now they're required to make bricks without straw, which is even harder, and they had to keep the same quota. And so guess what happens? The Hebrew slaves, in particular the foremen of the Hebrews, go to Moses and Aaron and say, way to go, guys, knuckleheads. You guys go in to Pharaoh 
and you obviously haven't read The Art of the Egyptian Deal. And you go in and you try to make this deal and you negotiate for our freedom. Here's what ended up happening. You've made it worse for us. Thanks a lot. So Moses goes back to God in Exodus chapter 5, 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Moses says, God, you know, I don't even know why you sent me. It's gotten worse and you haven't yet delivered the people. So he questions God. God didn't kill Moses over this. He questions God. He's upset. You also see the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1, Jeremiah says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet, let me talk with you about your judgments. God, I, I, I have some confusion about the way that you judge or don't. And the next, verse, the next part of verse 1, he says, Why does the way the wicked prosper? And why are those happy who deal so treacherously? So I, got, I don't understand your form of justice. Why are wicked people allowed to get by with stuff here? That's what Jeremiah said. You look through the Psalms, throughout the Psalms, God is continually questioned. Psalm 10, verse 1, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Psalm 42, 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Psalm 44, 24, why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? And on and on. So there are plenty of examples in the Bible where people question God because they didn't understand. God didn't make sense. It's okay to question God. He's a big God and he can take our big questions. But that said, he is not obligated to answer. He is not obligated to answer, at least not when and the way we think. And sometimes his silence is because he knows we don't have the capacity to comprehend the deep things that he's up to. And to be honest, sometimes his silence is his mercy. Because if we understood everything, it would probably be burdensome to us. And sometimes in his mercy, he remains silent so as not to burden us with more information than we can handle. The fact of the matter is that when Habakkuk raised this second question to God... Okay, God, I don't understand all the evil and wickedness. Okay, but your answer is you're going to bring a wicked people to deal with our wickedness. This doesn't make sense to me. The fact is that when Habakkuk raised the second question, God did not directly answer him. Not in the story here. What God does do is he's going to tell Habakkuk in chapter 2 how to live when life doesn't make sense. But he doesn't specifically answer the why. Life will be full of unanswered why questions. And we can either torment ourselves with the unanswered whys, or we can believe that God is fundamentally good and trust Him even when things don't make sense to us. At the end of the day, that's the choice. We can either torment ourselves by asking the why questions over and over and over and over again. Or 
we can believe that the fundamental nature of God is good, and we can trust Him even when things don't make sense. The warnings and prophecies found in the minor prophet books can be intense, but they remind you of one thing. God is patient. He doesn't exact judgment on those who have sinned immediately. Instead, God shows mercy. He gives you ample time to come to Him in repentance, handing the wrongs you've committed over to Him and letting His love restore you. Because of that love for His creation, God sent His only Son to die on the cross in your place, taking your sins with Him. Jesus' death provides you the opportunity at a new life and forgiveness for all your wrongs. Are you ready to come to Jesus in repentance today and receive this grace? We'd like to talk more with you, so please give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. We also want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45 a.m., as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. If you're not able to be with us in person, we do offer each service online as well. Again, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to connect. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary's message. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know.